Kelly Spears, and this is The Dirt, where we dig deep with those helping to feed the world. Episode 12, Amber Bristow. So I um, am sitting down with Amber Bristow today, um, and she is a cranberry farmer in Wisconsin. Um, so personally, I am very excited about this because I know zero <laughs> about cranberries, um, and I have a feeling that a lot of people listening or watching uh, may also know not very much about cranberries. So Amber, if you could maybe just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, um, and that'll kind of get things rolling off here. Yeah, for sure. Um, well. Like you mentioned, I am from Wisconsin. I'm a fifth generation cranberry grower on our family's marsh. Um, it was founded back in 1918. So we are a century farm, which is pretty darn cool. Awesome. We started originally with 11 acres of just cranberries. And we have grown over the years to over 230 acres of just straight cranberries. So something that is really unique about cranberries is that they grow in a very acidic, sandy soil. So we can't grow a lot of other crops out in this area just because it doesn't take to the soil. So that's why this area of Wisconsin is kind of known as a cranberry capital of the state. Um, so I live out here with my family. I work alongside my dad. Um, I have a cousin that's working out here. My grandma is still on the marsh. Um, and I also worked with an aunt and uncle that were out here for a while too. And now my husband just joined in on the marsh about, about a year ago now. So we're kind of all one big happy family out here, and it's it's a lot of fun. Sounds like quite the family affair uh, on the cranberry farm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with the area that you guys are in, are you pretty much like, I know you said it's the, with the soil, that's pretty much the only thing that can kind of be grown there. Are you guys the biggest mm -hmm. um, cranberry farmers in the area? Are you the only cranberry farmers? How is that kind of set up? Yeah, so we aren't necessarily the biggest. There's a couple other growers out here that are a little bit, have a larger operation than us. But um, so kind of the cool thing about our, our marsh is that we're kind of the home base for everyone else in the area. So um, it started like with my great, great grandfather, and then he had um, some sons and a daughter. And they all worked on the marsh when they were young. But as they grew older, they realized that they couldn't work together. They were a very strong Irish family. So a lot of the boys, they just couldn't handle that much energy in one space. So they kind of all split up. Um, so there's a lot of our relatives are right surrounded by us. Like we have a cousin that's right next in our backyard. And then we have another cousin that's right next to him that all stemmed from this home marsh. Um, so everyone is kind of related in our area, which made dating in high school super tough. So I always had to give my parents like a full background check of like <laughs> this guy that I'd be talking to. And they would always let me know like, oh, no, you're, you're related to him somewhere down the line. So you might not want to <laughs> pursue that. Um, so, <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of similar with a lot of small town farms, but, um, so luckily my husband, I married him. He was from an, uh, Kind of, he was about from an hour away, so he was he was safe. We brought in new blood to the <laughs> mixture, <laughs> kind of thin it out a little bit. <laughs> That's great. Uh, with so you said your husband is new to the farm. Um, did he mm -hmm. grow up with any farming background or just new to cranberries? He didn't have any sort of farming background, so he went to school actually for public relations and communications. Um, so. <laughs> 
he he knew nothing about farming. He wasn't surrounded by this type of environment. So bringing him out here was kind of, um, I don't know if it was necessarily a culture shock, just because he's so used to being outdoors. He's a real big outdoorsman. So when we first started dating, I kind of told him, you know, this is my plan to come back home and start working on the marsh. If you're not okay with that, then you know, get lost. So like, right. there's no point in continuing this. And he was, he was super excited about it. Um, he actually proposed to me out on the marsh. Um, and I don't know what he said, but he was like, oh, I'm so excited to start my life with you out here, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember the rest, but <laughs> and he, he kind of, yeah. <laughs> so he just dove in head first and he, he's been picking a lot up along the way and he's, he's been a great addition out here. It's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. So I know you just mentioned to you, um, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, we have a bottle baby and she's um, letting me know that it's time for dinner outside. <laughs> um, I know you just mentioned that you kind of told your husband when you started dating, uh, you know, this is what I want to do. So off of that, you knew kind of at an early age, this is, this is what I want to come, come back and do. And with that, did you have like, I guess a certain role in mind that you wanted to play or is it just kind of, yeah. So I, gosh, growing up, I always would tag along with my dad and like, I kind of knew deep down in my gut that I always wanted to come back, but my parents were real supportive of kind of pushing me out of my comfort zone and letting me do my own thing before deciding that, yeah, I, I for sure want to come back home. So I went to school for sports management. <laughs> and so I was working um, in baseball for a while, um, living in a couple of different cities. And that's actually where I met my husband was working for a baseball team. Um, we were both interns together that year. So once I kind of got that out of my system and I realized that, you know, like the city life isn't for me, <laughs> I, I really do belong back home. I pretty much had to beg my parents to be like, hey, let me back. I want to yeah. come back. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> and I'm ready. So they, they're really great about that, but I didn't really have any idea what I wanted to do. Um, and my dad's really great about like not seeing me as, I don't, I don't know how to say this. He doesn't, he didn't view me as like a girl, I guess to put it, to put it bluntly, I guess. So he let me do all these different roles that everyone else was doing and kind of find my, kind of find my own space mm -hmm. out here. And I would work alongside him. So kind of my role is more managerial without being a manager. So I'm doing a lot of more of like the office work. I'm doing a lot more of like the numbers, the statistics, um, while still being involved heavily on the farm. So like during harvest, I'm out there right with the guys. I'm doing all this other stuff right alongside the guys, just not. It's a little bit different than what they're doing, I guess. It's, it's a little bit lighter. So it's like a cranberry grower light version. <laughs> so I'm still doing everything, just maybe not as extreme. The light, the light ranch version of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, exactly. <laughs> since you just touched on it too, being, I think sometimes a woman in agriculture, there's like a, maybe not a negative stigma, but there's a different um, kind of thought and atmosphere to it. What's maybe been your experience being somebody who's hands-on in the industry? Yeah, I have been very thankful. There are a lot of women cranberry growers in our area that I was able to kind of look up to and kind of go to for guidance. And they're not just behind the scenes. They're not just like a farmer's wife. Like they're actually doing what I'm doing. So if I ever had questions with something, I kind of go to them and 
and say like, Hey, how are you, how are you handling this? Like, how, how do I go about communicating like my needs with the guys? Right. <laughs> Cause that can sometimes be hard to, you know, like if you're hurting, like if you can't handle the things that they're doing and that they expect from you as, as an, a fellow worker, like, how do I say like, how do I ask for help without sounding like a total wimp right. and kind of losing my place? So that's been kind of the hardest thing is just like knowing, <laughs> knowing when to ask for help and saying like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not built like you. I can't, I can't lift as many heavy things or as like, I can't keep up to your, your pace. Slow down or help me or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's been kind of, that's been kind of the trickiest part, but I've known these guys for a long time and they, they know and respect me enough to know like when I'm struggling or if I need help with something, they're always there to just, just do it for me or like to help me with it. And then just so I don't have to ask because they know I don't like asking for help because I'm, I'm that stubborn. I just, I don't want to ask for help. So they've been really great about helping me with that. Yeah, I totally, uh, I'm right there with you. I, it's not that I um, don't need help sometimes. I just don't want to ask for it because <laughs> I am stubborn. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and you guys. Yeah, I challenge you to find a farmer that isn't stubborn. Right, exactly. That one. <laughs> exactly. But with you and your husband's relationship, as far as I think it's maybe a little bit different from kind of the traditional farmer mm-hmm. where the husband's the farmer, the wife will come into the farm and take on a role. How have you guys kind of... Mm-hmm found roles within your relationship and then also on the farm to where you're kind of the boss and he had to come in uh, (laughs) from that level. Yeah, that was kind of the most difficult part was separating like home from work, even though it's one and the same. Right. Um, So that took a lot of adjusting on both of our parts. Like when we go home, I don't want to talk about work. Like I was there with you all day long, which makes it hard to find stuff to talk about too. Yeah. Um, but he learned pretty quick that when we're here, like you need to do what I say and it's okay to, to like go above me and ask like my dad for help or something because I don't know everything. Obviously I haven't been there here full time for as long as, you know, I make it seem sometimes. So just finding that dynamic of, um, home and work balance, mm-hmm. that's, that's been kind of the hardest part, but my, my family has welcomed him on here with open arms, which has been really great. It's been an easy transition for him to come on here and we try to make it so he doesn't have to worry about too many things. Um, Everyone's always willing to show him the ropes because they know that he's going to be here for the long haul and he needs to know this stuff and he needs to know it, how to do it right, right away. So he, (laughs) he kind of had to jump in um, blindly to everything, but he's, he's taken on to everything really well. That's awesome. I think it's uh, it's refreshing also to hear, you know, kind of the roles reversed in a way as well. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so completely switching gears, I want to know about cranberries. Like what from, like, if you could explain the whole process, that would be so helpful because like <laughs> I said, I know nothing about them. Yeah. How much time do you have? <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so cranberries are a perennial plant. Um, So we have vines out here that are about 50 or so years old. They will keep producing and producing until they kind of fizzle out. So it depends on the variety of cranberry that you have, and it depends on the soil that they're in um, and moisture and all that other stuff. Uh, So like I mentioned before, they do grow in a very acidic, sandy soil. So it's like a really white, almost kind of like a beach sand is what we use now. Um, And that's just, that's what we have. 
So they need that acidic soil. They need a lot of water. So we are kind of like in a marshy, swampy area. So the water table is really high out here. So we have a lot of man-made reservoirs. We have a lot of ditches. Um, so we need that water for irrigation purposes. Um, we need that for winter protection. We need that for frost protection. We need it for harvest. So cranberries don't grow in water, like what you see on TV. That's right. kind of like their image, but they are actually dry for the remainder of the year outside of harvest. So that's the only time that they're in water is what you see on TV. Yeah. Um, so they are a low running vine. So it's kind of like a shade carpet is like the way I like to describe walking out on a cranberry bed. Um, so if you refer, if you hear me refer to like a cranberry bed, that's like the individual section that we grow them in. Okay. So a cranberry bed for us is typically like two to five acres and it's just like a skinny rectangle Okay. and it's surrounded by a ditch, what we use for water control. And then we have like higher berms on the side so we can drive alongside um, each individual bed. So in that cranberry bed, we have irrigation set up in there. So we have either aluminum pipe running the entire length of the bed, usually two rows of that, one on either side, or we have underground irrigation with sprinklers that we can just screw in um, every spring and then take them out right before harvest. So how, how they grow, basically, um, what we do now is whenever we're ready to renovate a bed, we kind of plan this year in advance. So right after harvest, we'll go to that bed that we're getting ready to renovate and we'll just pretty much burn all of the vines right off. Okay. And then we'll just go out there with a big excavator and we'll dig everything up. We'll dig up that old soil until we get to like kind of the bottom where we start hitting that really dark, dark peak soil almost. And then we'll haul all that old dirt out and we'll keep that for other purposes. And then we'll come back in with fresh sand and we'll just dump everything back or you know, in that, into that bed until we reach a certain level that we're comfortable with. And then we'll kind of flatten everything out. And then in the springtime, when we're ready to plant, we have different varieties out here. So we have um, an earlier variety, a uh, normal variety, and then a late variety. And that um, is just based on their ripeness rate. So we have some that advance a little bit earlier in the season, kind of normal, and then a later season, just so we're not having to harvest everything all at once. Um, so if we have a variety that we really like, we'll go out into a bed with that variety and we take pretty much like a big lawnmower and we just mow the tops of those vines right off all the way down to the ground. And we'll go out there um, after that with a hay baler and we'll pick up all those vines. So they are formed into a hay bale size block. <laughs> and then um, we have a lot of bales of vines. And then um, once we have all those vines picked up, what we'll do is we'll go into the fresh bed that has a clean layer of sand and we'll just sprinkle those vines right on top of the sand. We'll disc them into the ground, run water on them, and they will continue to grow from just those clippings. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> so they, cool. they grow and develop throughout the entire summer. We make sure that they're well fertilized and they will just form roots that run straight down into the ground. And then the next year, they will continue to grow outwards. So they have a running vine. So they produce like long, skinny vines off of the original vine. And with those running vines, what we'll do, um, they will produce, those running vines will produce more roots if they get pushed down into the sand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind yep. of? Okay. Mm -hmm. So once you, so the first year, it's all about just establishing a main root. 
And the following year, it's, they kind of fill in. So they run um, outwards, not upwards. And that just kind of fills in all the empty spaces. And then you get like a really lush, like a carpet of vines. Okay. Hopefully that's all making sense. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely fascinated by this because they're very, uh, they seem to be very different from like, if you think about farming and like row crops, completely different, obviously. Right. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of why I started my Instagram pages to show people because it's so hard to explain. Like I'm trying. So if something doesn't make sense, just let me know. No, Um, yeah. You're doing a great job. (laughs) Okay. So it takes about two to three years uh, for those freshly planted vines before they produce a sizable crop that we can harvest off of. So like this year, our new plantings, they're, they're just developing. And then next year they will have a little bit more fruit. And then the following year we'll be able to harvest them. So the vines that we mowed previously to get. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Those vine clippings, they'll continue to grow back. And then if they take one year off uh, from producing fruit. And then the following year, we'll be able to get a harvest off of them again. So they just grow right back without any damage or anything, okay. which is pretty awesome. That's cool. <laughs> so, so typically, sorry. So just to kind of make sure I'm on the right track here with you. Mm-hmm. So you guys break up your land basically and kind of, do you break it up in kind of different sections? So you always kind of have a producing um, acreage uh, ratio, I guess, at some point throughout the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we typically, um, we only do maybe 15 acres of renovations a year. So the rest, we just leave it alone. So if there's a bed that's not producing up to our standards anymore, if it's, if we're not getting enough fruit or if it kind of gets overrun by, um, weeds or moss or something that we can't really control anymore, that's when we know it's time to tear it up and plant something new. So we never do like a huge chunk at once because that's, that's just way too overwhelming. Right. So we try to keep it to about 15 acres of renovations every year, okay. which makes it a little bit more manageable. Yeah, absolutely. And so when is uh, harvest typically within the year for you guys? Yeah. So we start our harvest process um, kind of in the middle of September, okay. and then we go all the way through the end of October. So it's about a six-week period of just straight harvest, and it's very exhausting. <laughs> um, so during that time... during that time um, it's obviously getting colder here since we are in Wisconsin so we have to watch for frost so what that means is we have temperature probes placed throughout our marsh so they're in different different beds and now those probes are hooked up to a radio system and we're able to program a set temperature so if that bed gets below a certain temperature Um, it'll ping our radio and then we can program our cell phones into that radio. So it will call us and say, this bed is below 35 degrees or whatever we have it programmed at. So we have four people, um, that do that will watch for frost and they all have two hour shifts. So my shift is from four o'clock until whenever it warms up (laughs) that morning, it could be six o'clock. It could be eight o'clock. It could be, we've had it at like 10 o'clock. We're shutting our pumps off. So 
Um, what we'll do is if it does get cold, we'll turn on our irrigation system for that area because certain beds might get colder sooner than others and we don't want to waste any water. So if, if it's just one block that's cold, we'll just run that one block until another one calls us later. Um, so when we run our irrigation, that running water helps keep ice off of the fruit. So it's something about kinetic energy or something where that just that constant movement of water will protect the fruit from freezing off. Because if they do get too cold at a certain point during the season, they will, they will get super soft and squishy and then we won't get, um, they won't count towards our overall crop score, if that makes sense. So we really need to keep, keep protecting the fruit. And then also there are buds already developed for the next season that we need to protect also. So if we, if that section does freeze up, we can lose crop for next year too. So we always got to be on the ball and we drive around and make sure all the sprinklers are working and we unplug sprinklers if they do freeze up or things like that. So it's a lot of moving and it's a lot of long days. (laughs) Um, But when we do harvest, this is going to be the hard part to explain. So, so bear with me. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So when we, when we're ready to harvest, what we do is we flood um, just a few sections at a time. So we put in about six to eight inches of water into that bed. So we're able to move water from a pond into a ditch, into an individual bed based off a series of tubes that we have set up. And a lot of our our water movement is gravity fed. So things are built at an angle. So like our ponds are higher than our ditches and the ditches are higher than the, than the cranberry beds. Uh-huh. So we can just flow that water naturally. Um, so we're able to do that with a series of boards. We can pull boards, to let water in and to stop the water moving whenever we need it. So once we have a few inches of water on a bed, we have this tractor, it's called a Harrow. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much just like a cab tracker, tractor and it has like snowmobile treads instead of wheels. And then on the front and on the back of this tractor, there's like little metal finger-like combs. So this tractor will drive down into the bed and he'll just like make straight laps out and then he'll drive up the side of the bed and then he'll drive back in. So he's always making straight lines. He's never turning in there. Um, So that water acts as a cushion between the treads and the vines. So it's not just like pressure on pressure. Right. And then... um, those little combs will kind of vibrate as he drives through. So it just gently combs the berries right off of the vines. So once he has made an entire lap, once he gets all the fruit picked off of the vines, then we go in and then we add in two feet of water. So 24 inches and flood everything up. And that's what you're going to see a lot on TV. So then once we have all the water flooded up and all the fruit floating, we'll go in with, um, we call it a cranberry boom. So it's basically like, you know, that separator that you have in a pool that divides the shallow end from the deep end, yep. like that little rope. Yep. It's kind of like that. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it. Um, so it's like this floating um, corral, basically. And we pull that with, <laughs> we pull that with um, two tractors and then we kind of start on one end and then we drive along the outside and then we connect them into one corner. So it's easier for us to corral. Uh, so then once we have everything corralled into one corner, we'll come in with our berry pump. So it's kind of like this big, I don't know how to describe it. It's like this big, big cart on wheels that has an adjustable top. I don't, I I don't have a picture of it right now. Otherwise I would show you, but 
bear with me. So it's like this, this big cart and we park it right next to the fruit that we're about to pick up. And it has this long metal arm that will go out into the water. And on this arm, there's like a big metal square. Um, I don't know, like a little extra arm. Like I'm trying to show you it's flat thing. Like a, uh... <laughs> so it's, it's a spray bar. It's what like a it. large um, vacuum. I don't know why, but like, yeah, the berries. That's, yeah, that's pretty much it. So okay. there's like a vacuum portion of it. And then there's what we call a spray bar that goes on top of it. Okay. So like this spray bar has little um, nozzles that will blast water on top of the fruit okay. that helps kind of clean any leaves or sticks off of the fruit. And then the vacuum portion is under the water. So our main goal is to suck all the fruit up, obviously, and then it gets sucked up into like this big long tube that goes all the way on top of this cart, which is like 20 feet in the air. And this is where I'm standing all during harvest. So once it reaches the top of this big tube, there's like a big metal bin on top and that fills with water and it fills up with fruit. So then at the top of that platform, it kind of goes down at an angle. Mm-hmm. So the fruit will kind of run down that angle and then there's little grates um, that are on the decline. So they're spaced perfectly apart. So any small fruit that doesn't count towards like our overall um, quota, that small fruit will fall between the cracks and then it goes and shoots off to the opposite side where it goes into what we call our trash truck. Um, So that's where all of like the leaves and sticks and small berries go and all the, the larger size fruit will run down that decline and into the back of a semi-truck. And then once we fill that semi-truck up, then that's when we take it to Ocean Spray. And then all of our fruit goes into processed goods. So like cranberry juice, craisins, um, that kind of thing. So we don't harvest for fresh fruit. That's an entirely different process that we're not equipped to handle. <laughs> um, so we're, we're strictly all processed. So hopefully that all makes sense. And then we just do that process over and over until all of the fruit is picked up, which takes about six weeks. So. Okay. I'm going to be showing that a little bit more um, once it comes time to harvest because I, it's hard to describe unless you see it. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of um, companies like John Deere International or whoever, they don't make implements for cranberry growers just because we are such a small market. So a lot of this stuff is, is made by the growers. Okay. So that's why you don't see a lot of this. Like I can't compare this to anything else. Right. Um, Very specific <laughs> to cranberries. Yeah. It's, it's very specific, um, but just wait a couple months and I'll show you guys everything else. <laughs> okay, well, I'm excited because I feel like I, that like opened up a whole new world for me because I had literally no idea how the process was and I had no idea it was like so intense and meticulous. Um, yes. And the water now all makes sense. Uh, obviously, the help harvest and the frost management side of things and there's a lot yeah. that goes into a tiny little berry. <laughs> right. And it's, it's amazing. So I love, I love talking about it just because it is so unique. And like you said, not a lot of people know about it. It is a billion dollar industry for the state of Wisconsin. It's our state fruit. And, you know, I'll go like, people ask me from my hometown, like, how does this work? Why are you in hip boots all the time? Are you the guys from the commercials? And I was getting frustrated of answering those questions. Like, I feel like people should know, especially around here. So I I wanted to create this platform to really showcase what goes on behind the scenes and how much more goes into it than just acting goofy in some water. Like there's right. there's a lot more that goes into it. So 
that's been fun just educating people on this whole process with being on social media I mean that's how I found you um and I guess I've kind of been removed from agriculture for a while since I went to college and then through my career was like okay there's a there's a huge disconnect obviously between consumers and the farmers like what can I do to help kind of avoid this disconnect um with you how did you kind I mean you kind of just explained you people weren't understanding things but what made you say like okay I need to do like I need to do something I need to start sharing my story how did that all kind of get put into play (laughs) yeah that that's great point um so I do some of my best thinking on a lawnmower. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I I was mowing lawn one day and I was just kind of thinking like, you know, there's no one else that's really showcasing this in our industry. So why not me? And that kind of led to, okay, if you want to do this, what platform are you going to take? And at first I thought doing a podcast would be cool. Um, but then the more I thought about it, the more I kind of chickened out. I was like, no, no one wants to hear my squeaky little voice talk about this for every week. Like, I don't have that much to talk about. I can't, I can't do this. Um, so then I decided that Instagram would be a better platform for me to start out on just because you're taking pictures, basically. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't really put much more thought into it. I just kind of jumped right in. And I said, okay, well, I didn't do any research. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go and see go what happens. It. If people like it, they like it. And if they don't, well, I didn't lose anything on it so I started sharing my story and I got um, more involved in like the ag community on Instagram and it's so supportive and I met some really awesome especially women on there who just loved that I love following and they seem to enjoy my content too so the more I interacted with them the more they interacted with me and then I gained more traction and um it's just a super engaging community and I, I love it. I'm so glad that I decided to just kind of say, oh, man up, man up and do it already. Um, so from there, I met um, Becca, mm-hmm. who I think you talked to, Becca Hilvey. Yep. And I said, hey, do you, want, do you want to do a podcast with me? I've had this kind of pipe dream for a while now. You want to go in with me on this and talk like Wisconsin agriculture Absolutely. because milk is uh, the state beverage of Wisconsin. I was like, you know, we can talk about cranberries and, and dairy. And, um, we came up with the idea of forward farming and we've been doing that for about a month and it's been a lot of fun. We've reached a lot of new people. Um, and it's, it's been wild. I never would have thought this a year ago that I would be where I am today, but it, it's, it's so amazing. I love it. Yeah. I, it's, uh, I can't say enough about the agriculture community, especially on Instagram. Um, My -hmm. mom and I have a a antique and home decor business and we have an Instagram and all that stuff. And the people are just not the same. Um, I think something about ag, man, that everybody's supportive and wants everybody to succeed and kind of helps everybody share their stories. And it's been an incredible thing. I know just for myself, um, but also it sounds like for you as well to kind of connect to those people um, and connect with people that I probably wouldn't have without Instagram or mm-hmm. social media. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was afraid of too. When I started, I was like, well, what if people don't like me? I was like, I don't care if people don't like me. <laughs> like, It's fine. There's going right. to be people like that. But I was so pleasantly surprised with just how nice and welcoming everyone is and continues to be on here. It's so refreshing compared to what you kind of see everywhere else. 
for sure. And um, congratulations too to you and Becca on your podcast. I actually was just listening to your latest episode uh, before. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's Thank like you. Two friends just hanging out, having a beer, and it's great. <laughs> uh, oops, I hope I didn't lose you. Yeah. Okay, I think I think you're back. Oh, can you still hear me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, like I I I don't know Becca. I met her on on here um, a couple months ago and we just started talking one day and I was like, you know, we got a lot in common. I bet we'd be pretty fun if we got behind a microphone together. (laughs) And I love it. She's so, she's so awesome. I love working with her. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely, um, entertaining to listen to. Um, one kind of more question and then we'll kind of try to wrap this up here, but as, uh, you know, you've kind of taken on this world of social media, um, and, telling your story, telling, talking about cranberries, talking about agriculture, what's something that maybe just kind of you'd like to share with people who maybe have no idea about any of the stuff that you share or talk about? Yeah, in the sense of social media or like in the sense of cranberries? Um, either way, just something or I both. think, yeah, maybe both. It's kind of a combination of it. Yeah, so I, I keep repeating myself on social media because I keep finding like no matter how much I talk about cranberries, people still think that they grow in water. <laughs> so yeah. I, if I can just let everyone know that cranberries don't grow in water, that would be, that's my goal in life. That's, that's my main goal is just to educate people that they don't grow in water. <laughs> I feel like you need um, a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I should. That's a good idea. <laughs> um, but otherwise, you know, if you're thinking, if you are kind of hesitant on joining Instagram, you know, making something more than just a personal account, just do it, you know, kind of muster up the courage one day. And once you start, you're, you're going to love it. If you find the right group of people, even if you post something that you're afraid that no one else is going to enjoy, I can guarantee that there's going to be one person out there who's going to be a big supporter of you and encourage you the entire way. So just find that, that little bit of courage one day and just go for it. It's a lot of fun and it's going to be so rewarding. For sure. I, uh, I could not agree more with that. Um, Amber, where can people find you on social media and all that fun stuff? Yeah. So I am on Instagram and Facebook at Cranberry Chats. And then if you are interested in our podcast, it's Forward Farming Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We're on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher as well. Great. Um, yes, I highly recommend you go uh, <laughs> follow Amber. She also has an adorable dog that I forgot to mention. Uh, (laughs) he's more of a gremlin than a bear or than a dog his name is bear (laughs) um but amber thanks so much for uh spending some time with me i know you had a crazy busy day so i appreciate you taking a a few minutes to chat with me and um i hope everybody else is now as informed as i am on cranberries and i cannot wait to see what harvest looks like yeah thank you so much have a great rest of your day (laughs) you too Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Dirt. Don't forget to follow us on social media at AgChicks and that the visual version of every episode can be found on YouTube on our AgChicks channel. We'll see you all next time.